welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Good morning, church. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but for my wife and I, this was an unusual, small Thanksgiving. And uh, it was a reminder of how hard this year has been. And as we head into Christmas, my prayers and um, my thoughts and my hope is for you. I'm praying for your healing. I'm praying for deep and meaningful connection. I'm praying for you to experience joy as we uh, are experiencing a season like no other time in our lives. Um, Over the last few weeks, I have been praying for our church, praying for our leaders, praying for uh, some of you by name um, that are in digital communities. Um, And so I hope hope you feel connected in the next few months as we continue to figure out what it means to be church during a global pandemic. Um, Today, is uh, in the church calendar, the beginning of a new year. Um, we begin as the church, as the people of God, with great anticipation for uh, the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, Yahweh saves, Emmanuel, God with us. So Advent is a time set aside where the church slows down its activity to begin the year uh, in the church calendar to welcome in the presence of God on earth, to remember um, Jesus and to slow our lives down to prepare for him, for his arrival. And so we are going to do an Advent series as we prepare for what's coming. And uh, the title of this sermon today is This is the Way. So I wanna pray and then let's jump into the text. Father, would you bless us this morning? as we gather in homes around Southern California and even around the United States and the world to uh, be disciples of you. Jesus, I pray that your presence would fill us, our homes, our kids, our roommates, our families. Give us peace. Let us uh, read your word and connect with you in a deeper way. Help us to understand how we can prepare our lives for your arrival this particular season. And we bless you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, this is the way. In the Old Testament, the the Old Testament ends, and the people of God are still waiting in anticipation for what was prophesied and promised in the Old Testament. Um, The prophets uh, talked about a time when God would restore Israel. You see, the temple was destroyed, the Israelites were sent into exile, and then they eventually return, they rebuild the walls, they rebuild the temple, they rebuild Jerusalem, but there's this like emptiness, there's this sense that they're still in some sort of spiritual exile. And even after the temple was built, there's something missing. God's presence wasn't with them like he was with them earlier in their story. And so the Old Testament ends that uh, with these uh, promises that were unfulfilled. There were the promises that God would bring this restoration, bring this renewal, and the cosmos would be restored, the lion would lay with the lamb. All sorts of things would take place, but it, it doesn't happen. The prophecies are unfulfilled. And there's this promise that one day God would send a Messiah, a savior, a king, a servant who would come and bring about this restoration, and the Old Testament ends 
with those things being unfulfilled. The, the world is still hurting. Justice is waiting to be, uh, or injustice is still reality. And, and God hasn't brought about the forgiveness and the justice and healing to the brokenness that he promised in the Old Testament. In the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Bible, or I'm sorry, it's the last book of the Old Testament, um, there's a declaration about what will happen before this Messiah, this servant comes. It says that there, there will be a messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord. Malachi chapter three, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so Malachi 3 talks about before the servant comes, this Messiah, there's a messenger that will come. And that the, then it ends, the very last few verses of the, uh, of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6. It says, see, I will send a prophet Elijah to you before the great, day, great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of, their chil- of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Whew. That's how the Old Testament ends. Talk about filling your imagination with what's possible. In, in, in the imagination in the hearts of the people of God, there were these unfulfilled promises. One day God might bring a messenger. God will bring a, a messenger and he will, he will prepare the people of God for the, the coming renewal that's, that's about to take place. And, and the Old Testament ends and people are waiting and there's over 400 years of silence. 400 years where the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins. Nothing no word, no prophecy, no fulfillment of these promises, just violence and empire, conquest and abandonment. But then, the gospels emerge. We know the story of of Jesus' birth. They announce the arrival of the first, in Luke's gospel, it's the arrival of John the Baptist. And then it's the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, in the the nativity story of Jesus. Um, But I want to talk about how we prepare for the arrival. And um, there's this great story of of the fulfillment of that that prophecy of Malachi, of this messenger, this Elijah-like prophet that comes. uh, And and he, he will prepare the people of God for this great awakening, this great renewal. And, and the question that I want to answer is how, again, do we prepare for what's coming? And so Luke chapter three, it says this, um, and I want you to go to Luke chapter three. Let's read this together. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, and then a few other people during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So, John chapter, or Luke chapter three talks about the ministry of John 
the Baptist. And what you need to know about this particular text is this is the great fulfillment um, of the Old Testament. God is about to do something new and he brings about this work. And, and, and the messenger that was prophesied in the Old Testament comes onto the scene. And notice what Luke does. He lists out the political, the military, the social, the economic, and the religious institutions and leaders who held powers the power and the platform at the specific moment in time. This is where power comes. This is where power lies. This is who dominates the world, if you will. The, the economic, the social, the political, the government, the military, the religious powers and institutions. But God's word doesn't show up in those institutions. He doesn't, God's word doesn't show up to the high priest in the temple. God's word doesn't show up in Jerusalem. God's word is found in the wilderness. The word of God came to John in the wilderness. And I think this is so significant for this moment. Just a side note that oftentimes when God is about to do something new, he does it first in the margins of society. He brings about his renewal, his movement to places that are obscure. When David is anointed king, he's anointed in a field as the youngest shepherd in the family. When Joseph, who will steward an empire, learns about um, stewardship, he first learns about it in the prison as a prisoner and a slave. When Gideon, who becomes a great warrior, is anointed or, or called into greatness, he is threshing wheat in a wine press as a coward. Each of these stories often show how God will begin to do something, but it starts in small, obscure, marginal places where you least expect it. And in this place, the word of, of God comes into the wilderness. It, it comes to John into the wilderness. The, this long-awaited Elijah prophet has a message to Israel, and the message that is recorded according to Luke is marked by, by the baptism, by baptism and repentance. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins and baptism. So there is the, the ministry of John, the one who will prepare, um, who fulfills all these Old Testament promises, who, who, who comes out of 400 years of silence, is now coming with this message of preparation. How do you prepare for the arrival of the Messiah? So he has this message and it's recorded in John chapter 7. It says, or sorry, Luke chapter 3. I'm talking about John. Luke chapter 3 verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you, listen to his message. What was his message? This is it. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of God. The axe has, has been laid to the root of the trees and every tree that does, that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Woo! This is the prophetic message we tend to despise. <laughs> right? It's a prophetic message. Um, judgment is coming. And he says to the crowd that's come to hear him, you brood of vipers, which was kind of an insult back then, who warned you about this? In, in other words, who, how did you hear about this? And then he goes on and he says, produce fruit in keeping with 
uh, repentance. Don't make excuses that, oh, I'm a child of God, and then keep on sinning. He gives us this prophetic image of an ax being laid at the root of the tree. It's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Hello. John's message is a summary simply of repentance, a type, a repentance that reflects the fruit of what you believe. Remember, repentance in the Greek means to change one's mind. It's, it's this idea that you, you have some new information that's been given to you in your life and uh, you are now invited to think differently about things. You, you discovered something and now you're thinking differently about it. And so your, your actions change. In Hebrew, it's this idea of you walking down this path and repentance is to change directions. You have this new awareness, this idea, this new understanding about things. And so you, you change course, you turn around. So repentance has this idea that in, in its context that we're all on this journey, we're, we're, on the, we're all moving along in life. And as we are enlightened with new information because the Holy Spirit comes and wakes us up, because somebody teaches something. We hear the word of God and it does something to us. And so all of a sudden we, we make a shift in our thinking. We make a shift in our behaviors and we make a shift in our life. That is repentance. So when I say repent, I'm not, I'm not saying turn or burn as it was said when I was growing up. I'm asking you in view of this new information, this concept, this in, in light of what you have just heard change the course of your life. Think differently about life. Think differently about things. See the world differently in view of what is ultimately true. Repent means to change your mind, to change directions. So John says repent and produce fruit. And this idea, it means to live your life in response to what has been declared. So John's declaring the Messiah's coming. So repent and get your life in order is about living a life in view of what's coming. And in this case, judgment and wrath because the Messiah, the day of the Lord is coming. And he goes on to say, guys, to the, to the Israelites, hey, don't say to yourselves, we have our father Abraham. We're sons and daughters. He's, he's essentially saying, look, God can say to these rocks, you are the children of God. And in, 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 in the Old Testament, or in the time that, that, sorry, that John is preaching, there was this concept that, that the people of God, the Israelites, believed, hey, it's okay, we can do whatever we want. We can live however we want because we're grafted into the children of God. We are chosen and selected. So they had this relationship throughout history where um, they kept living out of disobedience. And prophets kept emerging and saying, guys, you got to live in covenantal faithfulness. That you are designed as the people of God to live as a treasured possession, as a sacred and holy people set apart for the nations to, to reveal God to the world, but they kept, they kept neglecting their vocation. <coughs> Excuse me. They kept neglecting their vocation. And so, so John is preparing the people of God. Get your life in order. Your life should reflect the covenant you've made as the children of Abraham. And, and then there's this prophetic image of the axe being at the root of the tree, which is this apocalyptic language, this apocalyptic liter like way of looking at the judgment coming, this idea of um, being thrown out into the fire. This is apocalyptic, and it's the idea that a lot of people take this image and they think of hell and judgment and separation from God, and, and that, that's often what prophetic 
in apocalyptic literature would do. It would cause this urgency in the listeners of the time. They have to do something. The Messiah is coming. This is what's happening. And people heard this message. And then Luke chapter 3, verse 10, the, the audience that came to listen hears this. And verse 10, it says, what they say, what should we do? The crowd asked, what should we do? And, and I want you to pause for a moment because the history of Israel is so fascinating. There's a promise to Abraham about uh, you know, having descendants and then they, they enter into slavery for over 400 years and then they're freed by Moses and then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years and then they enter into the promised land and they get kings and prophets and then they go into exile and then the Old Testament closes promising what's gonna happen and there's 400 years of silence and then this is the moment. The, the prophet that's coming to prepare the way is here. He's arrived. What's his message? Surely he will be able to prepare us. But listen to his message. Listen to how John teaches people to follow the way and prepare them for what's coming, to prepare the way. Look at specifically what's said. Verse 11. I want you to look at this in your Bibles. John answered, this, so this is the moment the Messiah is coming. And listen to what John says. Verse 11. Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Verse 11. What do we do? Judgment's coming. The Messiah is coming. Oh, we got to get ready. What are we supposed to do? How do we live this message out, the way of life? And he's, his response, hey, guys. Be generous with your stuff. Wait. Keep, uh, 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 repent, he says. Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. And here, John says repentance is somehow connected to how we steward our material possessions. Are you with me? Hey, some of you, you have two shirts. In a time where if you had one, it was wealthy. It was enough. Hey, some of you have two. Share with the one who doesn't have one. Generosity is this idea of being ready to, to give, ready and anticipating the needs of others around you in the moment. It's having a, a heart that's, that's willing to share what you have to make sure the people around you are taken care of. How do you produce the fruit? How do you prepare your life for the, the, the way? How do you prepare your life for the Messiah and his message? Be generous with your stuff goes on Luke chapter 3 verse 12 and then it, it gives you some specifics it says even tax collectors came to be baptized tax collectors these corrupt officials partnering with the Roman Empire to 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 tax their own people what should we do these sinners ask John's response hey don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Wait, are you kidding me? These, are, these people are excommunicated from Jewish fellowship. They're no longer considered Jewish. Uh, uh, they're no longer considered sons or daughters of Abraham. And um, at the time, we're talking about oppression. <clears throat> these people are part of the system oppressing the Jewish community at a time where 90% of the people living in Palestine were poor and below poverty. 10% of the ruling class and 90% were poor living off a day's wage. And they were taxed, some say, 
two-thirds to three-quarters of their entire income by the Romans and then the ruling elite who uh, taxed them for temple tax and various Jewish issues and things that they had. A person literally could barely get by and tax collectors used the force of the military to take money off of what was demanded. So they, they, the, the Romans taxed, the Jewish ruling elite taxed, and then the tax collectors took money off the top of that. We're talking about corrupt. We're talking about an industry of corruption. Think about that. We're talking an industry of sin, an industry of corruption. These guys have a lot of work to do. They're the ones that need to repent more than the rest of us. Hey, guys, how do you prepare? Be honest in your work. He doesn't say quit your job. He doesn't say get out of that industry that's filled with sin. He says be filled with integrity and don't collect more than you're required. Be honest in your work life. There's there's another group of people that are are showing up. um, And it says, then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? And John replied, hey, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now soldiers, we're talking about people who uh, were part of, of um, this system that used their power to, uh, they, they would accuse people falsely and in order to basically get bribes where people would have to pay them so they didn't get thrown into jail. We're talking about a corrupt system where there's power upon power oppressing the masses. Um, and, and these soldiers would be you know, seen as enemies most of the time. We don't know if they're Roman they're most likely Jewish soldiers working for the temple or the ruling elite and using their, their physical force and power to extort and take money from people. And John says uh, that as, as these people uh, are coming to them, what should they do? And remember, the, the judgment is coming. And what are soldiers to do as they prepare uh, for the coming Messiah? And his response is simply says, be content. Don't manipulate the system. Don't extort money or accuse people falsely. Be content. content be content with your pay. Contentment is a state of living, a li- living in a state of satisfaction and happiness. Contentment, in our context, resists the need to compare our lives to others. It resists, resists the unnecessary consumption or the unnecessary drive for more and more and more. Contentment is about learning to love people and not things. It's about having a mindset that's rooted in gratitude. And this is the message. This is how do we prepare for the coming Messiah? How do we prepare for what God is about to do? And the recorded sermon that we have of John the Baptist with his application is fascinating. How is this Elijah figure making the path straight for the Lord? He's calling people to be baptized and to to live a life that reflects their repentance of what's coming, of what they know, and what is God looking for? How is he preparing? Well, he's preparing the people through generosity, honesty, and contentment. He says, be generous with your stuff. Be honest in your work and be content with your income. Now, this is so weird to me. This is not what I'm expecting. I don't know about you, but this is not what I would expect at the climax 
the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. This is not what I would expect. I would expect something far more spiritually significant. Can I get an amen? Like something, like I would expect the, the prophet, the great prophet who's going to emerge He's going to arrive onto the scene like an Ezekiel, you know, he's laying on one side for 300 and something days and then the other side and he points his finger or his arm and his arm is all withered in the story of Ezekiel. There's, there's all these stories of these epic things that people have to do to prepare. I, I, let's do a 21-day fast. Don't eat any food, just drink water. Let's commit to two hours every single day of praying in intercessory intercession. Let's memorize the book of Leviticus, why not Leviticus? Let's memorize that book. Let's, let's sing the Psalms all the way through as a community. Let's, let's memorize, let's, let's do some spiritual stuff to prepare for the Messiah. Surely that is what we need to do. This, this kind of preparation, for me, it seems a bit insignificant, doesn't it? It doesn't seem spiritual enough, like, Generosity, honesty, and contentment. But this is what repentance, according to John the Baptist, looks like. You see, I thought repentance had something to do with me getting my spiritual life in order. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the, the concept that I was taught was Jesus wants to save us from hell, and, and so he wants to give us a ticket to heaven, so when we repent and believe in him, we you know, then we get to go and do the spiritual things. I, 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 don't think, I don't think of repentance in terms of being generous with material possessions or repentance as being honest in my work life. I mean, I'm a pastor, but I, I, I think that. But what about, you know, the, the guy who's doing sales calls um, or, or in an industry that's corrupt and he has to get his job done? I don't think of repentance necessarily in those places. Do you know what I'm talking about? And as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking about what Jesus does when he comes and arrives to the scene and how John the Baptist reminds me a lot of Mr. Miyagi. And, and I'm speaking specifically to the original Karate Kid, not this one with Jaden Smith. I, I talked to some of our staff and they're like, oh no, we've never seen Karate Kid. We saw the one with uh, Jaden Smith. And I, so I'm talking about the real Mr. Miyagi, the real Karate Kid. And if you haven't seen it, You've had 36 years to see it. So Mr. Miyagi is a handyman and uh, a janitor at this, this apartment complex. And Daniel LaRusso moves, uh, I think, from New Jersey to Southern California or the other way around, Southern California. I forget. He moves, no, he moves to California. That's right. And, um, and this, he, he sees Mr. Miyagi. He gets bullied and beat up. And, and then he sees Mr. Miyagi, like, use karate to, to beat up all these karate kids and and Mr. Miyagi becomes his teacher and a surrogate father figure to him. And, and he begins to train Daniel um, in, in, these, uh, in karate, but, but not the way Daniel expected it. It starts with some random chores. He starts by doing waxing, waxing cars. And he's like, wax on and wax off, wax on and wax off. And then he's, he's sanding wood floors and he's refinishing, he's painting the fence and, uh, in Mr. Miyagi's house. It's like each chore is accompanied with like specific movement. And, and it's like, okay, so I got to wax the car this way and then I got to wax it off this way. And eventually Daniel fails to see the connection to the training that's actually happening. All these chores are frustrating Daniel. Wait, no, this can't be how I learned karate. You were supposed to teach me karate, but I'm doing chores in your house. 
And he eventually expresses frustration to Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi then teaches Daniel, shows Daniel what he couldn't see, that actually he was learning defensive blocks through muscle memory by performing these chores. Mr. Miyagi shows him that those skills, those intentional disciplines, those things that didn't seem as significant were actually training Daniel to learn uh, the way of karate uh, so that when the real battle came, he was ready for the task. He just couldn't see it. Little did he know that the waxing on and the waxing off was actually preparing him for the real battle ahead. What does this mean? John the Baptist is like Mr. Miyagi. Well, I think repentance and faith in following Jesus, preparing for the Messiah and learning his way has been by the church disconnected. Like I think we have simply, we have made faith, we have made following Jesus this spiritual thing that's disconnected from everyday ordinary life. You see, Jesus wants to transform your everyday ordinary life. So repentance needs to be about somehow how we manage our stuff. It needs to be, faith needs to be connected to how we are, our character and our integrity in our work, in our work, in our work life with our coworkers. It, our faith needs to be in, uh, connected to our hearts and our thoughts. God desires your everyday ordinary life to be transformed. Your everyday ordinary life, you're coming and you're going to and from work, whether you work at home or where you get, you're getting to work in person. He wants to transform the way you parent, the way you handle your finances. He wants to transform the way you commute, the way you listen, the way you consume. He wants to get into those everyday ordinary moments of life and, and build a kind of character that reveals his nature to the world. So of course, what John the Baptist will do is, is, is teach us that all of life is connected to our faith. All of life is connected to the, the repentance. And the, we, have to, we have to take the everyday ordinary life, like our shirts and our clothes and the material possessions, and we need to see how the Messiah is going to come and transform those things as well. It's not about confessing something to Jesus and then living everything out like we were before. It's not about believing the right ideas about God and then living our, our marriages or our work lives differently than that kind of confession. That's something that I see as a major problem in the world today. It's incongruent. We confess one thing and we live another. It's hypocrisy. We, what we've done is we've allowed our faith to be disconnected from everyday life. We allow our faith to be disconnected from the simple, mundane realities that we experience. How we treat one another, how we talk to each other, how we engage with social media, all of this is, must, our faith must be connected to those things. We can't make following Jesus about just spiritual things. It doesn't work like that. Following Jesus involves our material possessions. It involves our finances. It involves our relationships. It involves how heaven and eternity impacts those simple and mundane things. That's how we prepare for the arrival of the Messiah. We have to be brutally honest with ourselves. Have you allowed your faith to be disconnected from the rest of your life? Is your faith shaping how you handle your finances? Is your faith showing up in your workplace through integrity and honesty? 
in how you deal with customers, clients, or your employees, or your coworkers? Does your life produce fruit of the kingdom of God? Is it keeping in step with the kingdom life? If not, John would say, repent. Repent. And what does repentance look like? Well, for John, practice generosity. Live a generous life because generosity is, for the kingdom of God, is the wax on, wax off preparation we need for the bigger things of the kingdom of God. It is the discipline that enables us to inhabit and carry and steward and release much greater things than simply material possessions. So be generous with your stuff. This Christmas season, be creative. If you don't have a lot of money right now, you're in a place of need, sell some stuff to give. Work so that you can, you can participate in giving. And if you don't have work right, now, work right now, church, we need to be the church. We need to make sure that our community has no needs. So in your digital communities, in your house churches, get together. Let's, let's figure out if there's needs and let's share. Let's be proactive. Let's be creative. As a discipline, let's get back to tipping 30%. There's a whole bunch of people working in the service industry that keeps getting their lives disrupted by the shutdowns and the openings of COVID-19 in our country. Anytime you get the privilege and luxury of eating out or, or going to a coffee shop, may you tip 30% and let us be known by our generosity of tipping in this city and beyond. Just practice generosity. What does repentance look like? Well, maybe it looks like you being honest for the first time with where you really are. Be honest with how you actually treat your spouse, your kids, your coworkers. Be honest with yourself. Is your life congruent with the faith that you desire? Come out of hiding this Christmas and be honest. Are you lonely? Share it. Are you disappointed? Share it. Are you hurting? Yes, guys, this is so hard. This, this time has been brutally challenging. It is so hard to do life in these ways, to do church in these ways. Can we be honest and say it's hard? Don't come out with that toxicity. Don't be angry and gossip. Just be honest and be a, a community that tells the truth to one another because your feelings don't have the final say. And the facts of life, yes, it's hard, but their truth is we're all gonna meet Jesus. Jesus will have the final say. Healing will come. Can I get an amen? Do you need to repent? What does repentance look like? Maybe for you this holiday season, this Christmas season, it learns to be, it means for you to learn contentment. Stop comparing yourself with others. Stop buying into the lies of culture that more will give you something that you don't have. Stop consuming unnecessarily and just settle into the way of contentment. Be generous, be honest, be content. This is the way. As we prepare for Christmas and the arrival of Jesus, make space in your everyday life for God to show up. This is the way. Merry Christmas. Father, would you prepare us as a people to follow you, to know you, to walk with you, um, to be generous, to be honest, to be content as we anticipate the coming of your Messiah. I bless everyone, ask you to fill them with more of your spirit and love in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.